So, Peter, James, John, totally surprised by this way that Jesus reveals himself to them. They didn't see it coming. But what does the text say happens next? Look at verse 3. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. Mark, Mark wants to make sure that we realize that the thing that these men are experiencing, the thing that they are seeing, this radiance, this brightness, this is not of the world. You cannot manufacture this. You cannot recreate this. This is a sneak peek into the heavenly realities. This is what Jesus' future heavenly body is like. We'll get to see this one day. We'll get to see this one day, but it will be either after death or when Jesus comes again. But these guys get to see the heavenly realities and nothing on earth can compare to it. It's like a totally different color of white. Look at verse 4. And then there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Now, Elijah is an Old Testament prophet, a, a, a one of the greatest prophets of ancient Israel, of the Jewish people. Moses was considered the greatest of prophets. He's the one that delivered um, the, the, the Jewish people out of slavery in Egypt. And so why do these two cats join the transfiguration party? Well, Mark doesn't tell us explicitly why, but we can imply by what comes next uh, the reason why Peter, James, and John get to see these three men talking. And, and what we see is um, that the Jewish people had such admiration for Elijah and Moses, and, and both of those gentlemen sort of died with mysterious uh, circumstances around um, themselves and, and, and sort of, I think, uh, the Old Testament would teach have a special place in the kingdom of God. Uh, and so when you see Jesus with these two, it's like he's in uh, great company. He's in great company with Elijah and Moses. But then what we'll see in just a second is Jesus or is called out by the Father. A voice from heaven calls out, and he points out Jesus. He said, see, Jesus is talking with these great prophets of old. So he's a prophet but he's so much more than a prophet. And so Jesus is called out from amongst the three and say, this one is my beloved son. And so that, that's why I think is happening here. This is um, a way that Jesus is teaching uh, John and Peter and James about his uniqueness. He is a prophet, but he's so much more than a prophet. And I love the fact that it says, and they were talking. Uh, this is a beautiful picture of the God that we worship. It's not a God who's distant and removed. Uh, yes, he's holy and powerful and other, but he sits here and he's talking with two prophets. Just talking. And, and you'll get to talk to God too, face to face, because this same Jesus is now forever clothed in humanity. He doesn't take it off after his death and resurrection. He keeps it on, and, and one day we'll too get to, to talk face-to-face -face with God in the person of Jesus. So Peter, John, and James, um, they're just sitting, watching this, 
unreal thing happened. So what would you do if you were in this moment? If you were a witness to this heavenly, veil-torn-back, mountaintop moment, what would you do? Well, let's see what these three did. Verse 5 and 6. And Peter, it's always Peter, said to Jesus, Rabbi, first of all, he's just seen him transfigured. He's, he's glowing with a, a heavenly glow, a color that he's never seen, and he calls him Rabbi, which is just a, a Hebrew word for teacher. Again, it's Peter. He's trying his best. <laughs> but it's like, clearly he's more than a teacher. He says, teacher, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. This is so Peter. If, if you know, I mean, I hope you continue to read the Gospels. Peter is just, this is so Peter. He just can't help himself. He must interject himself into the situation. Um, Peter's always doing this. He's a talker. He's a doer. So if you're a talker or a doer, Peter's your guy. You can, you can learn from his mistakes. Um, this is who he is in his family. He's the talker, the doer. But I love the fact that Mark tells us this part of the story because it's funny. It's, it's an epic sort of fail moment for Peter that he's experiencing the, the greatest moment that any human being has witnessed and, and, and he can't help but interject himself. It's so, it's so wonderful. And, and one of the things it does, it reminds us that this is a real story. This is an authentic story. This isn't something that was made up after the fact because if you were writing this, why would you write Peter into this role? Because he kind of looks like a goof. The story's authentic and Mark shows us this and, and it reminds us, I think, the place of humor in God's word as well. In his word, in his world, the most cosmic moment ever is juxtaposed with a comic moment. And uh, as someone that loves to laugh, this shows me uh, that, that the holy has no problem coexisting with the humorous. If you, if you like to laugh, this is good news. God invented humor. He's given us the ability to recognize things that are funny. And, and here's a moment. <laughs> the, most, the most amazing uh, holy moment in history is interrupted by Peter the Goof. Um, but he's absolutely right. He's correct when he says, it is good. It is so good that we're here. And he gets that. He sees that. That this is quite a gift that he's been given by his friend and his teacher and the Christ, Jesus. Um, and, he, and he gets that it's been purposely given to him. And so he says, it is so good. Uh, but then, as the doer always does, uh, he wants to join the party, and he says, hey, can I build you all some tents? That's funny. <laughs> I mean, can I build you all some tents? Maybe if you're a doer, you can totally see yourself doing this. Um, but let's learn from Peter's mistake. When a holy moment comes into your life, 
you got to learn how to simply receive it. You don't need to, need to interject yourself. It's okay just to receive the gift, to enjoy the gift. There will come a time to respond, and we'll see that happen. Uh, so many times, that's not the intention of the invitation into the divine. God just wants to give you a glimpse. He wants to give you a moment. And so you just enjoy it. But Peter says, guys, I'm a great builder. I'm great with my hands. Let me build you a tent. And Jesus doesn't berate him. He just ignores him. <laughs> Let me make you some tents. So why does Peter want to make some tents? I mean, there's a method to his madness. I mean, part of it is he will say, um, uh, verse 6 says, For he did not know, that's Peter, what to say, for he and they were terrified. So part of it is he's just uncomfortable. Uh, but I think the reason he wants to build the tent is because he wants to do what most of us want to do when we've experienced a mountaintop moment. We want to extend it. We want to make sure it lasts. We want to make sure it doesn't run away from us. Um, I mean, this is so true. Think about your mountaintop moments, how many times you've tried to recreate it at a later date, or you've tried to extend it and say, well, maybe we could change our flight, or what if we just did this every week? But that never works. And the reason is, is because God gifts us holy moments, mountaintop moments, not just for us, but for others. So why does he give them to us? Look, let's look at verse 7. And then, after Peter had finally shut up, it says, a cloud overshadowed them. That's Elijah, Moses, and Jesus. And then a voice came out of the cloud. This, speaking of Jesus, is my beloved Son, Listen to him. Listen to him. So his voice comes from heaven and it distinguishes Jesus as set apart above Moses and Elijah. He's not just another prophet. He's something more. And um, if you were here from the beginning, you can turn back with me. This same thing was said at another time in Jesus' ministry. In fact, it was said at the very beginning of his ministry, Mark chapter 1. These same words were spoken by a voice from heaven at Jesus' baptism. Mark 1.10 says this, And when he, that's Jesus, came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So you see? It's happening again here. God is singling out Jesus, making sure at least those close to him realize he is special. He is my son. Now, because he's my son, the voice says, listen to him. Listen to him. This is the first reason why Peter 
James and John are given this holy moment. Because God wants them to trust and believe and act upon the things Jesus is saying. And most specifically, the things he has just said six days earlier. Remember what he said about, I have to go and die and then rise again on the third day? That to follow me means that you must pick up your own cross, die to yourself, deny yourself, and give it to others. He's saying, you need to listen to him. He speaks truth. This is the way it has to be. And you three are sort of the leaders of the disciples. They will follow your lead. And so I'm going to give you this holy moment that you might know that what he says is not a crazy thought, thought by a rogue prophet, but that this is my son. And he sees things that you can't see. He knows that this countercultural, counter history, counter logic way of going to die and rise again is the only way. So here's the transfiguration to prove his words are true. The road is about to get very hard for the disciples. But you will persevere, Jesus tells them. If you trust in me, you will see that it's worth it. And a voice from heaven says, listen to that man. So ultimately what mountaintop holy moments are are given to us for so that Jesus speaks, we have the confidence to listen and to follow him. And so throughout your life, throughout my life, throughout the disciples' lives, they're given these holy mountaintop moments so that when the most challenging circumstances of life present themselves, they can fearlessly walk in the light of his glory. Um, if, how many of you watched the State of the Union this week? Okay. I just stumbled into the end of it when I was picking up Grayson uh, from his grandparents' house. And I, and I saw, and I walked in right when um, the president was sharing about a North Korean defector named Ji Sung Ho. And whatever you think or whatever your politics are, it doesn't really matter. This man's story was incredible. Sung Ho was a starving boy in North Korea some 20 years ago, and while he's scavenging for coal so that he might go into the market and barter, that he might get just small scraps of food for his family, um, he passes out from exhaustion. So he's up on a trail or on, on, a, on a train car trying to get coal, coal, steel, coal out of it, and he passes out and he falls, uh, and, and his leg is on the track, and uh, the train to roll and runs over his leg, and um, he he's uh, he wakes up and somebody finds him and helps him get to. A hospital or, or whatever, and anesthesia, they amputate his leg. Uh, later in his life, um, he is tortured 
by the North Korean authorities because he had taken a trip to China. So he's lived an intensely tragic, hard life. And, um, and this story is told on the biggest of scales, right? The State of the Union in the United States. And, and Sung Ho is up in the balcony. And um, it comes to this point uh, in the story uh, and the president says, um, and, and Sung Ho's father made him some wooden crutches. And on those crutches, he walked thousands of miles to freedom. And now Sung Ho lives in South Korea and works to help other defectors escape the tyranny of North Korea. And he's given his life back to helping rescue others. Um, and this, this whole time, you're, you're watching his face, face. And, and uh, the broadcast I happened to be watching gave a lot of close-ups of his face. And you can just see him sweating. And you just see the intensity on his face of what he's been through. And I was incredibly moved by it. And I just couldn't help but think about the boldness and the courage and the defiance towards death that was in his face as I watched him. Uh, because we all know North Korea is not a gentle nation. And he's probably already a wanted man for the work he's doing and he's told his story before. But on the biggest stage, in the biggest nation, state of the union, his face is plastered as he defiantly wags his finger at North Korea and says, no, I will not go silently into the night. And I was just so moved by it. And I could feel the tension on his face, but he was so brave. And then at the end, you know, they always have the participants stand up, and he stands up, and he shakes his wooden crutches in the air. And it's just such a power. Maybe I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm a sad. I'm just like, I'm just so moved at this moment, just thinking the bravery of this man in the face. Uh, I mean, he's a wanted man now, more than ever. And uh, here's the thing. He's tasted freedom. And once he tasted freedom, he, he realized a day of freedom is so much better than a thousand days of slavery. And because he had that moment, that profound moment in his life of, of, of freedom, and part of the story is that when he left the first time to China, he met some Christians and he was empowered and said, I have to get out of this country. But when he tasted it, he knew he had to have it. And so he fearlessly faces death on the biggest stage ever. And I just want to tell his story because I think it, it for me at least, it was just a perfect picture of why Jesus is going to give Peter, James, and John this holy moment, this taste of eternity, this taste of the heavenly, because he knows what they're going to be asked to do and to suffer and to sacrifice 
for the sake of the gospel. And so they too, after this, can walk fearlessly in the light of that glory that they experienced this day. And we know that this moment became that for them. A short moment became that thing which kept them going through the hardest time. Because Peter says this in a letter that he wrote to Christians. 2 Peter 1, 13 says this. I'll throw it up on the screen for you. Uh, Peter says this. I think it is right, as long as I am in the body, in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that putting off my body will soon be, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses to His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to Him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with Him on that holy mountain. See that? This moment for Peter continued to provide him the inspiration and the courage necessary to fearlessly take the gospel of Jesus Christ into some of the hardest places. He stood before authorities, before councils in the Jewish temple, before Roman magistrates. He was convicted, sent to jail, and tradition tells us that he was ultimately crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified like Jesus. And never once did he waver, never once did he turn back on his word, never once did he flinch, never once did he make up a new gospel? And part of that is because of this holy moment when he saw the transfigured heavenly body of Jesus. These moments are powerful. They're given for a reason. We must pay attention to them. I know, I know this personally. Um, many of you know my story. But I was given a holy moment um, that profoundly changed the course of my life. Uh, it really turned me from something of an excuse maker, uh, I'll wait and do that later, kind of a guy, to becoming, at times, a fearless follower of Jesus. My moment happened not on an actual mountain, but in the dirty, dungy alley in the back streets of Dallas, Texas. Um, when I got a phone call, uh, March 17th, 2007, that my sister Kim, my older sister, had been killed in a bicycling accident, and I walked into this back alley, and I cried out to God for 25 minutes, and then exhausted, I fell to the ground, sat up against a chain-link fence, confusion, hysteria, and then all of a sudden, peace. And I experienced, I don't talk about this a lot because it's hard to explain. <laughs> Just like the transfiguration. But it was like a light engulfed me and I experienced the presence of Jesus in a way. And he delivered to me a message from my sister which is the consider message which has led ultimately to the foundation of this church and our mission to help the city of Seattle consider and, and it was given to me in a holy moment where I experienced in a way that I can't even really explain with words because I've never experienced it before and I've never experienced since 
a brightness, a clarity, a peace that passes understanding and explanation. And I had a holy moment. And though that moment was very short, it's given me the courage to fearlessly go into places that I would not have gone before. I did begin to listen to Jesus. I'd heard the things he'd said many times before, but I finally started listening to him and obeying his commands in my life. I'll tell you what, I'd never be standing here right now if I hadn't had that moment. Because holy moments are given to us so that we might in the future walk fearlessly as we remember what it was like to be in the fuller unveiled presence of Jesus. Verse 8 says this, And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning, what is this rising from the dead? (laughs) What's this mean? If If you know how the rest of the story goes, they listened to him But then throughout their lives, there's many times where they fall short of listening well to Jesus. But the really important part of these verses is that the moment ends. That they came down from the mountaintop. Why is this so important? Because it can be so easy to hang on to these moments, to, to try to recreate them, uh, to get to that place where everything is so perfect and idyllic and, and, and wonderful and majestic. But these little glimpses of eternity aren't meant to last forever. At least, not yet. We live in this time in human history that, that theologians will call, you maybe heard me talk about it, called the already but not yet. This is a perfect example. That the kingdom has come in Jesus. In His person is the kingdom. And so it has already come, but He still waits patiently to restore all things to their full glory so that many might come to see Him for who He is, to by faith trust in Him, believe, and be saved. So God will give us a taste. He loves to give us a taste because he wants us to know what's coming next, but he, but he loves to give space for others to come and taste and experience the kingdom before he brings it in full. And so he sends the disciples and he walks with them back down the mountain. And he's literally walking them into the valleys of the shadow of death. But they don't need to fear the evil men, women, systems, and spiritual forces that they'll find in those valleys. Because, Jesus says, I'm with you. 
the same Jesus that shone like the sun on this day, will be with them in the valleys of the shadows of death. And that Jesus will shine bright again after the biggest of valleys, his own death, proving that no valley is too deep for him to overcome. Now, why does Jesus tell them to tell no one? Does it, is this weird to you? He says, don't tell anyone. Well, we know that this ban on storytelling eventually ends because Peter's talking about it all the time. He writes it in his letter. He obviously tells Mark, who writes the gospel for us. Uh, but I think he, he says, keep this one to yourself for a while. And the reason that he does that uh, is because there's something better about his timing than Peter, James, or Mark might have realized. Now, in my own story, this happened. I received this holy moment, this revelation from God, this message to ask people to consider. And, and from the time I got that until Kim's memorial service and I stood up on the stage, never done that before, I didn't tell anybody what had happened to me. Not my family, not the pastor who would give the message after I shared my story. I just said, I have something I need to say. And for some reason, God was telling me, don't tell anyone yet. Save this one for the memorial. And I don't know why. I just knew he was telling me to wait. I mean, I think it would have changed it if I had told it several times before her memorial because the message was first and foremost for her friends. I think God does this with other holy moments, big and small, that for some reason there's a timing to sharing and telling about them. You're going to have holy moments throughout your life, hopefully. Some you will share, some you won't, some you'll wait to share till a later date. I mean, one of the very best parts of my marriage, I've shared this before, is when I realize that my wife is having a relationship with Jesus that I know nothing about. That she doesn't tell me everything that she hears from the Lord, experiences with the Lord. Like it's almost the best thing in the world when I sneak in on her worshiping God and she didn't think I was in the room. I got you. Cheating on me with Jesus. Gotcha. But it's the best thing for my marriage. I'm like, cheat on, darling. Let me give you a few bucks. Where do you need to go? Go on a trip with Jesus. Go on a retreat. Do whatever you need to do to build your relationship. It's the best thing for my marriage when there's all sorts of holy moments that I know nothing about that are just between her and God. And I have those moments with me and God. And some of them we share together, some we don't. Sometimes I'll see her do courageous, amazing, wonderful things, and I say, what's gotten into you? And then she'll share about a moment she had that I never knew about. I hope you have that in your relationships, friendships, marriages, with your family members. We're given these sometimes bigger, sometimes smaller moments of revelation so that we can be transformed into the missionaries God needs us to be. First Corinthians three three eighteen or Second Corinthians three eighteen says this, uh, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. 
When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you begin this process of sanctification and you are becoming progressively holier. That's what sanctification means. And part of the way you become progressively holier is by experiencing, having these moments, these mountaintop experiences, sometimes big, sometimes small, of seeing Jesus for who he is, the veil torn, uh, folded back that you might know that he is the Son of God, the Savior, the Christ and then you listen to him and you walk with him and you talk with him and you obey him and it makes you become more and more like him. So we do this individually. And then as a community, all these people that are experiencing these moments, that are seeing the unveiled face of Christ in their, in their time with Jesus, they come together and they worship together. And Matthew 5, 14-16 says this. this is what Je- these are Jesus' words. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do the people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they will see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So when the church comes together corporately with all these people seeing Jesus, his unveiled face in their moments with him, and they come together and they worship and they stir each other up to good works and good deeds, the collective light becomes unavoidable. In fact, the way the city of Seattle will come to have their holy moment is most likely by coming into the local church and seeing something different, a kind of brightness that they've never seen before. We become their transfiguration moment. If we are being transformed, each individually and coming together in love, we will give them a sneak peek behind the curtain to see the heaven realities, which is the heavenly body of Christ. And if you've never read the front of your note sheet, that's what the word sedaris means. We are the heavenly body. We are people's transfiguration moment, at least one of them, when they experience a community that's so filled with light and love and care that they've never seen anywhere else. So when people walk into these walls, they might experience a little bit of what Peter, James, and John experienced. Oswald Chambers says this, the test of a mountaintop experience of mysticism, of visions of God, is when you are in the soup of actual experience. After Kim's accident and the holy moment God gave to me in this message to help people consider, the rest of my family didn't receive this. And I remember wrestling with this. Why did you give it to me, God? Why not them? I remember specifically talking to my mother about this. Why was I given this? And I can't remember when, but sometime later, I remember her saying to me, David, now I know you were the exact right person for that holy moment. But you see, when God gives you it, he also gives you a responsibility. He doesn't just give it for you. There's a responsibility to steward well your holy moments. Not everybody's going to have a moment like I had. In fact, nobody will. Nobody's going to have the exact same experience that Peter and John and James had. But you're all given holy moments that God is asking you to steward. You have a responsibility. 
We know a lot about Peter who became the rock and John who wrote his gospel and three other letters in the New Testament and the book of Revelation. But then there's James, the brother of John. We don't know as much about him. And why don't we know as much about him? Is because he fearlessly walked into the world, the valley of the shadow of death. And Acts 12 tells us that James's earthly story ended when Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And James didn't flinch. He didn't make it out alive. But that was just the end of his earthly story. That same day, his eternal story continued, not in suffering and pain, but back on that mountaintop, sitting in the presence again of the transfigured Jesus, this time in full glory, in the unending presence of the risen Jesus. How are you responding to the responsibility of your holy moments? Are you stewarding them well in the soup of life? Dr. Martin Luther King gave a famous speech called, I have been to the mountaintop. And he delivered the speech the day before he was assassinated. And I'll close with this. Dr. King said, well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would live, like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we praise You and we thank You for giving us Your Son that the kingdom of God came near to us in the person of Jesus, that time and time again You revealed His true glory to those who were nearest to Him, that they might tell of His goodness, of His marvelous light, that they might share that with the world around them, that through them we now know that Jesus Christ was the Lord and that He has died for our sin and that He did rise again on the third day and that we can have life and life to the full in Him. And we pray that we steward the moments that You give us, that we too might become witnesses to His grace in this city, in our friendships, with our co-workers. Stir up in our hearts, God, what You want us to do, how You want us to use the holy moments that you've given us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.